now listening to the Charity Church Podcast. Welcome to a pastor's least favorite day of the entire year, Time Change Sunday. I like the longer days, but I hate the way we have to get there. But this is a great turnout. How many of you normally show up to the early service and you took that hour to sleep today? None of you. Okay, we got a couple in there. We got a couple. Yeah, the, the early service was, man, they, were, they had some energy. They were running on coffee and Jesus, and, uh, and that gets you through a morning. That's what I'm running on right now. Um, I, my, my first cousin's wife had battled cancer for about 10 months, and she died this past week, and so my cousin had reached out to me and asked me to come down. He called me a few weeks ago and asked me when she died if I'd be willing to come down and do the memorial service, and I said, yeah, if, you know, if my schedule allows it, and we have some things coming up, and, and so uh, they opted to do it yesterday morning at 11 o'clock, and so Wednesday evening, Tracy and I flew down to Louisiana, and, um, and I booked a later flight in the day yesterday um, out of Shreveport, which had to connect in Dallas, and put, it was going to put us in around midnight, and I thought, well, I can, I'll make it, you know, try to sleep on the plane a little bit. When I booked it, I didn't realize it was time change Sunday. And also, I didn't expect American Airlines to give me a 45-minute delay getting home. So I'm running on about four hours of sleep, four or five cups of coffee, and like I said, a little bit of Jesus. So Tracy usually doesn't show up to these kind of services because she don't know what I'm going to say when I'm kind of... So she tried to get out of it. I brought her key to work, but she found a spare key at the house. But I mean, I brought her key to church, not work. Today's not work for me. Okay, anyway, let's go. Uh, Make it personal, make it personal. This is a series we've been going through. Last week, we talked about personal ministry, and so many people stepped into some personal ministry this past week. Some things got us stirring up here at Charity that I'm excited about the future and about some ministries that we're about to launch. We actually had someone come to the VIP room last week and said, sign me up for the nursery. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Angie loves it. But this week, we're talking about a little something different. It's about pivotal circumstances. And have you ever gotten into a place in your life, and you just ask this question, was that a coincidence? Was that, an, was that a coincidence, or is there more to this encounter or more to this moment than I might realize right then and there? I had one of these happen a few weeks ago. I was down in the hospital uh, in Charlotte visiting Rick Chabala, and, and I walked out of his room down at Presbyterian Hospital, and when I walked out of this room, this lady was walking by, both of us had masks on, but she looked at me, and I looked at her, and she said, called me by name, and I called her by name, and I was like, wow, I hadn't seen her in long, a long time, and so we just kind of walked down the hallway, I said, what are you doing here, and I said, are you working here, and she said, no, I just happened to be here with a, a group of students that I'm teaching, and, and she said, you know, and I just happened to be walking down the hallway at the exact same time that you're walking out, she used to go to church here, and, and so I left that encounter going, okay, God, why did you have our paths cross? What, what, was it, what was the significance of that moment? Because I don't just believe things happen by coincidence. I think that, that things that happen in our life, we need to pay attention to. Then we need to look at those and go, okay, why did this happen? Why did this take place? And God, what is it that you're wanting to teach me from this moment? Or what do you want me to do with this moment? Many of you have had those. You've had these pivotal moments in your life, these pivotal circumstances that change some things. Maybe your career path is a result of a pivotal circumstance that occurred to you or happened to you sometime in your life. And your, your life is 
in a career path because of that. You may be in a relationship because of a pivotal circumstance or a pivotal moment in life that you just went, okay, this is, this is the person for me or, or this is the life for me, and, and, and you pay attention to those moments. And we all have those things that, that, that kind of change and direct our lives. And then we look at other people and we go, they need to pay attention to some things that are going on in their life, right? It's like every single time something keeps happening, you're going, if they would just pay attention to God, God might have their attention by now. But we have those. And it's, we have to ask ourselves, was it a coincidence? And to which I would say, probably not. Probably not. Because as we go through our Christian journey, we have things that happen to us, Right? Early on in your Christian faith, there were things that God used to challenge you and kind of help you to trust him more. And as you got further and further along in your journey, you just learned to trust him more and more and more. And what I have learned over the course of my Christian life is that faith is not generally developed in peaceful waters. Your faith is not generally developed in peaceful waters. When everything is going fine, the finances are good, the kids are behaved, your marriage is great, career path is all right, everything is going well, it's really hard for faith to develop. It really is. But there are those things that come along that God just uses that to develop your faith. God just uses it to, to take you to a different level of trusting in him. This is one of the things that, that God feared for the Israelites. Because when they were in Egypt and God called them out of Egypt and they went across the Red Sea and they were out in the wilderness for 40 years, they were depending upon Jesus or for God every single day for manna from heaven and from water from the rocks. And they were so dependent upon God. And God met with them just before they would go into the promised land. And he would say, listen, my fear for you is that when everything is going smoothly, you're going to forget about me. And he warned them that that would take place. And you know what happened? Exactly that, exactly that. They got into the land flowing with milk and honey and they just kind of forgot about God and God's provision because everything was going smoothly. So when you go through those unpeaceful waters, those treacherous rapids that life brings at us or throws at us sometimes, just understand that's where deeper faith is often developed. In the, in the book of James, the half-brother of Jesus wrote this little letter, and he said this. He said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, when you meet those circumstances in life that just plague you and get you down and make you want to throw in the towel and quit. I want you to look at those moments, and I want you to count them as a joyous occasion, not because they happen, but because of what they produce. I don't get happy about tumultuous waters. I hate them. I like peaceful living, right? I like calm. I like smooth. But when those things happen, he's saying, James is saying, I want you to count those trials as a joyful opportunity because of what is produced. And here's what he said. You know that the testing or those, those trials, those testings of your faith, they produce something in you. They produce a steadfastness. They produce perseverance. And, and if you look around the room and you find the gray hairs or on the stage right here that find the gray hairs, most of those of us who have been around doing this for a while, we have experienced some testings. And if they're still here and they're still following Christ, you ought to grab a cup of coffee with them sometime and say, tell me about this. Tell me about how God used trials of various kinds 
to produce a perseverance in you that has lasted that long. You find people that have been married for 40, 50, 60, we just had the Trexlers celebrate 60 years of wedding uh, this past week. When you find people like that, go buy them a cup of coffee, buy them dinner and say, listen, just tell me about it. Just tell me your story, tell me your testimony. How in the world did you endure all those years? And you know what they're gonna tell you? They're gonna tell you about pivotal circumstances that happened in their life. They're gonna tell you about moments in time that God used as a catalyst to grow their faith and put them into some deeper, deeper waters of faith. He says, and let that steadfastness or that perseverance, let it have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete or mature, lacking in nothing. A little over a year ago, I trained for a half marathon and I thought I'd never do it. I couldn't hardly run two miles. But I got on this training program, you've heard me tell the story before, and I just kept doing it. I just kept doing it. Add a little bit here and there, a little bit here and there. My daughter in Massachusetts is training right now for a half marathon, so she's texting me, calling me. She's saying, all right, Dad, yesterday she hit eight miles in the snow in Massachusetts. I'm saying, listen, you got a little bit more tenacity than I do. All right, the weather's gotta be just right for me to be out there. But, but, just that, but what happens is the more you do it, the more your body gets acclimated, and the more you're able, the further you're able to go because of this, this endurance, this steadfastness that it produces in you. And that's what life is like. You go from trial to trial, and what God is doing in us through these circumstances is he's producing something in us that helps us last for the long haul. You go through those moments. So here's what it looks like. You have a test, or I'm sorry, you have a trial. That's a test of your faith. And it goes into producing this perseverance or this steadfastness, which in turn gives us stronger faith. It produces this in us, these moments in time that are pivotal circumstances that God is saying, hey, it is a trial of various kinds. It is all kinds of trials that are testing your faith or trying your faith in order to make it more pure, make it stronger. It's producing perseverance in you. For us, most people experience the loss of, of someone that they love. In a, it's usually a, a, an animal, right? A goldfish, a cat, a dog. You lose an animal, and, and your little five-year-old or six-year-old, they're dealing with the grief of a loss of an animal. And, and one of our granddaughters, a, a dog that we had bought for Leanna when she was a teenager and got, just got old, and, and, and Gizmo died. So the kids were like having to deal with that, and so Colby, their dad, took him and buried him out behind his mom's house in this little place and put a little place there. And later on, Charlie came to us and, and said, my daddy planted Gizmo. <laughs> but she was learning how to deal with, with, with loss, you know. But, but then you have, you know, somebody else, and, and many times it's often a grandparent that we have to learn to, to cope with and deal with the grief of loss. And, and in those moments, we're just... God is producing things, and, and we, we learn to deal with just the trials of life that's producing deeper, deeper faith in us. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, and I've used it before, but it says, God whispers to us in our pleasure. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is, it is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pastors know this. That's why when we preach funerals, we know in those moments that people are listening, they're intent, they're asking questions, that Jesus has the answer. 
Jesus is the answer for many of the questions that people, that people are asking when they're going through pain, when they're going through loss. You know, this opportunity I had to preach my cousin's wife's funeral yesterday. I, I wanted the opportunity because I knew that in that moment, there were family and friends that were gonna be gathered around that would listen intently to the gospel message, the hope of eternal life, the hope of life beyond this. And that's what God often does in that, in our pain. It's a, it's a megaphone to arouse a deaf world to the message of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We all have these moments that God uses. And for me, several years ago, we were looking for a, a long-term partnership when it came to our missions work here. And, and one of those places that we were talking about was in, on the continent of Africa. And so a, a group that we work with is J-Life. You've heard us talk about J-Life many times. Uh, their headquarters is in South Africa. And so I went down there on a trip to, to meet with several of their country leaders throughout the continent of Africa to see if there was one of them that we would want to partnership with. It was kind of like a speed dating type deal. So we would like meet with somebody, hear their vision, hear what there was going on, see if there was a, a, you know, a spirit-led connection there. And, and then you would go to the next one. And, and there was this guy that came along and he sat down in front of me and there was almost an immediate connection in our spirits. This guy started telling me about uh, how he was multiplying disciple makers in Tanzania and, and just sharing with me how God had used him. I came to find out that that this guy, Michael Titus, you've heard us talk about Michael Titus a lot. Um, Michael Titus was a missionary. He worked with a missionary organization out of Germany that would bring missionaries down there, and they would literally put Michael Titus on a helicopter, fly him to some of these islands off the coast of Tanzania where there were just Muslims and, and uh, pagans, and he would go there, they would drop him off, and he would tell them in the village that he had the answer to the AIDS pa pandemic that they were dealing with. And so he would go to the chief in the village and he would go to the, the chief of the tribe and he would say, I've got the answer. We, we know the answer to, to AIDS. And they would just gather everybody there. Everybody would come. And he would start sharing with them that he had the answer. The reason, you know, and he, I don't remember exactly how he would word it, but ultimately his job or what he did was he shared the gospel with them. And sometimes there would be an uprising, they would be after him, and he'd have to go hide out for days until that helicopter would show back up and pick him up and take him back to the mainland of Tanzania. And I was like, listen to this and going, this is a guy I wanna partner with. This is a guy I wanna lock arms with because I think God can do something great through charity in Tanzania. So we started, a mission, started doing mission trips over there. Way back in 2013, I think it was, 2013 or so, we took our first group over there. And while we were over there, Michael Titus and I were walking through some land and he said, we just, God has given us this land. We don't know what, exactly what we're gonna do with it. But as we were walking the land and just praying and talking together, we came across this. We came across this grandmother and her toddler son. Some of you heard me talk about this before, but this grandmother and her toddler son sitting under a canopy out in the heat of the Tanzanian uh, area there. And this book right here is where she is writing down and teaching him the Quran, teaching him the ways of Islam. And when I saw that, I was just burdened. A heavy burden came over me. And I was thinking, you know, we may not ever completely reach this generation. And we may not necessarily even fully reach the generation in between these two but there's a way that we can reach this generation. 
And so in that pivotal moment, as we're walking and praying, God just laid it upon our hearts to start a school. Start a school up on the top of a, of a hill outside this little village that's 99.9% Muslim. And we just decided, hey, we're gonna start a preschool and we hope we get some kids to enroll. We were hoping for like 30 or 40 kids that first year. We easily hit that. And to this day, Michael just told us recently that this year, it's more than a preschool. We have over 250 kids enrolled in preschool through, I think that's up to like fifth or sixth grade now. Yeah. But not only that, some of those kids that are showing up, they're showing up, they're Muslims. And they got, you know, their Muslim attire on and they're hearing the gospel. They're hearing about Jesus and who Jesus really is. They're hearing the gospel over and over and over. Every single day, they're memorizing scripture. They're praying in Jesus' name. And they're going home and they're telling their parents how to do it. And as a result of that, there's also now a church in this village that charity has had a part in planting that's running over 150 to 200 people now. We've already extended, expanded the building once after building a building there. And that's, that's part of what you are doing. But it all happened right here. This is what, the, it was a pivotal moment that God just impressed upon our hearts to say, listen, this is how we can reach this village. And we're reaching this village through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you just have to pay attention. There's a guy in the, in the New Testament, Paul, uh, Tom mentioned him earlier, but, but in Acts chapter nine, it's the story of Paul. Paul, who was before he was Paul, he was known as Saul, which was his Hebrew name. After he became a follower of Jesus um, and he was going out to reach the, the Gentile world, he started being known as Paul, which was the Gentile name. And so that's why the differentiation there. But before Paul met Christ, he was an enemy of the church and he was an enemy of Christians. He hated Christians. He would be the guy that would barrel through the door and doing what we're doing right now. He would come through the door and he would haul you off, haul us off and put us in prison. He hated Christians. And here's what it says in Acts chapter nine, verse one, is Luke, Dr. Luke recorded it for us. He said, but Saul, still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. So Saul, this hater of the church, this persecutor of the church, the one who had a part in the stoning of Stephen, was still breathing threats, meaning that this was his life ambition. Everything that he was about was about destroying the early church, and anybody who claimed to be a follower of Jesus. He goes to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, which was about six days journey from Jerusalem. He said, so he wanted to go to these synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, now the Christians, when they were getting persecuted around Jerusalem, many of them were fleeing persecution in and around Jerusalem and they would go to Damascus about a six days journey, and they would find a little bit of, uh, of safety there. So Saul, picking up on what was going on, he looks for an opportunity, and he gets permission to go to Damascus to find Christians, people of the way, which was probably a reference to when Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So they started being known, Christians were known as people of the way. Later on in Antioch, we became, they were started to call them Christians, but originally it was people of the way, and so he wanted to go get them, men and women, so that he could bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he could bring them back and really persecute them, have them arrested, possibly even stoned for believing 
in Jesus Christ. This was Paul's life ambition. But a pivotal moment occurred. Something happened in Paul's life that would forever change the trajectory of him. And what I know is that pivotal moments have the potential to change your life forever. If you will just pay attention in those moments. There are moments in time that God gives us, God allows to take place. And oftentimes he may even orchestrate those for us. And when those things have, take place, they have the potential to change your life forever. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. In verse three, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, or just before he got into the city, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. When something like this happened to a Jew, a light started shining around them, they often immediately equated that to a divine encounter with God. So this light starts shining on Saul and the guys that were with him, and it says, in falling to the ground, he heard this voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? So as he's thinking in his mind, hey, this is a divine encounter. What is it that God wants to tell me? The voice comes and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? To which Saul would have probably gone, what do you mean persecuting you? I'm doing your work. I'm going and getting these people that are following this imposter named Jesus. I'm going and getting them and I'm having them arrested and I'm having them thrown into prison. And look, I even stoned Stephen for you. Got rid of that guy because he was a loudmouth about Jesus. What do you mean? Why am I persecuting you? I'm not persecuting you. I'm promoting you. And so he goes on and he says, so who are you, Lord? Or sir, master, who are you? I mean, this is a moment, this is a divine moment that you've given me. I, I, I recognize this light shining on me as some, an encounter with God, but, but who are you? If you're saying I'm persecuting you, then who are you? And he says, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. Jesus equates himself or says, I am God. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm the one you're going after. Why are you doing this? He says, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to rise and enter into the city, and you're going to be told what you are to do at that moment. So from this verse on, Paul is blinded, and he, he goes without eating for three days. No sight, no food. And he gets led into the city by the, the companions that he has there, and God sends this guy by the name of Ananias. And God comes to Ananias, and he says, I want you to go to this place, and I want you to lay your hands on Saul. And Ananias is going, you talking about that guy that, that's, that's after me? You talking about the guy that's after all Christians? And, and God is saying, yeah, I want you to go and lay hands on him, and I want you to, the scales are going to fall from his eyes, and he is going to become a devout follower of Jesus. And I don't know how that is unfolding in heaven, but originally, when God calls these disciples, and he says, I want you to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. I want you to go to the uttermost parts of the earth. You know what those original disciples did? They hung around Jerusalem. 
They stayed right around Jerusalem and Philip ventured into Samaria. But most of them hung right around Jerusalem. And I don't know if God's up in heaven going, listen, those, those disciples you called Jesus to follow you, they're not really going into the uttermost parts of the earth. They're not really going into the, the far reaches. They're kind of hanging around there where they're comfortable. Why don't we find this guy who is a zealous person who's not afraid of confrontation, who's not afraid in his boldness to persecute Christians, why don't we call him to our side? And all of a sudden, this moment in time that Jesus encounters Saul on the road to Damascus and the zealous, the one who was so zealous to persecute and kill Christians, now he is on the side of Jesus. That's probably not how that unfolded in heaven, but what if it was just like, hey, we see someone who's zealous in opposition and when they come over to our side, they will be zealous for the gospel. And God does that oftentimes, right? You find somebody, man, they're just crazy. They're just out there. And all of a sudden they get saved and they're just as out there for Jesus Christ. And that's what happened with this guy. So he hangs around Jerusalem for a few days, meeting with the disciples, learning stories about Jesus and probably about what it was like to be a follower of Jesus and and. And he has this encounter with Jesus and then this, this encounter with the disciples and it changed his life. So Paul's life, after his encounter with Christ, changed the trajectory of his life and the life of the church. Because Saul, who later became known as Paul, went to the ends of the earth. He went to all parts of Asia Minor. He went to the Gentiles who were the non-Jews and you and I sit here today probably because of Paul's missionary endeavors, because he went outside of Jerusalem. He went outside of even Israel. He went into the uttermost parts of the world, all around the Mediterranean Sea, and reached the Gentiles. So the life, the trajectory of Paul's life was changed, the trajectory of the church was changed, and your life is changed because of what Paul did early on in his call into ministry. And so immediately he said he went and he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, place that he was very comfortable in, saying he is, he is saying he is the son of God. So he immediately went into the synagogue where they thought he was gonna pull people out and kill them, persecute them. He says, listen, this Jesus, he is the son of God. He starts proclaiming that very loudly. And as a result, all who heard him, they were amazed. And they said, is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? of those who called upon his name. Isn't this the guy who used to, to persecute us? Isn't this the guy who used to persecute Christians and kill them? Isn't this the same guy that, that was standing there and orchestrated the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr in the book of Acts? Isn't this the same guy who's reaping havoc on the church? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests. What his mission in coming here to take us back to Jerusalem or take these Christians back to Jerusalem? It wasn't that his whole purpose in life. It was, but something changed, right? An encounter with Jesus Christ. A pivotal circumstance in his life totally changed his purpose. What I know about Jesus, he will change your life's purpose. He will change it. I mean, you know, one day you're, in sports, and you, you're doing that for your own benefit. And then all of a sudden, Jesus enters your life, 
and he changes your purpose. Now you've got a talent of playing basketball or football or sports or soccer or cheerleading, whatever it is, but now he's using that for a new purpose. It's not self-promoting. You know, one time you were in your career so that you could make a lot of money and benefit your family and go on nice vacations and all this kind of stuff, and now you're saved. And God says, now I've got you making money so that you can do something for the kingdom. I've got, I'm, we're leveraging your life differently because your, your purpose in life has now changed. It's no longer for you. It's now for God. Those pivotal circumstances in our life, when we pay attention to those, God uses them to change things. So circumstances are really an opportunity for us to allow God to work in us through those circumstances or through them. He works in us through them, through the circumstances. So we have to ask ourselves, God, what is it you want to do in me? What are you trying to teach me in this moment? He goes on and he says, but Paul or Saul increased all the more in strength and, con and he confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. Now he's making this argument that Jesus is in fact the Christ in the synagogue where he intended to go kill Christians. That's just the power of God. It's the power of a pivotal circumstance in our lives that God wants to use to build his kingdom. And he wants to use those. So the bottom line, pivotal circumstances are moments in time that God uses to change the trajectory of your life. My question to you is, are you paying attention? Sometimes you have to pay attention to the tension, right? You gotta know, this. for some reason, God, and, and as soon as I finished this message, people were lined up to tell me story after story after story about pivotal moments, pivotal circumstances that they found themselves in. And this is what God did through that moment. This is what God did in my life. This is what God did in that person. And we have those. We have those moments, but we have to be aware of those moments and we have to pay attention to what God wants to do in those moments or through those moments in our lives, in the lives of others. What is he trying to teach you? Listen to him, stop and pay attention and go, why did I have that encounter outside that hospital room? Why did this happen in our family? Why did this tragedy happen to us? Why did I see that little boy and his grandmother out there under that tree, under that little awning, learning the Quran? Why did those things happen? They're pivotal moments, they're pivotal circumstances in our life that we have to stop and look at and listen to what God wants to do. So pivotal circumstances do three things. Number one, they'll make us reconsider what we've put our faith in. And if you put your faith in, in a great healthy marriage or your health or in your career or in anything else, pivotal circumstances, those things that test our faith will oftentimes cause us to reconsider what we've really put our faith in or who we've really put our faith in. And when Jesus is all you've got, you'll realize that Jesus is all you need, that he helps you through those things, that he is the strength when you don't think you can take another breath when you don't think you can take another step and you don't wanna wake up and face another day, it's in those moments that we reconsider who or what we've put our faith in. So count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because there are pivotal moments in your life that God wants to do to, to deepen your faith. And it makes us really reconsider who's in control. Ultimately, you are not in control of anything. You can be a control freak all you want to, 
I've got things that I want to control. But ultimately what I know, I'm not in control of anything and neither are you. But I want to put my faith and my trust in the one that I know is in control. That nothing that ever happens in my life is outside of the control of my heavenly father. So I want to go, God, I don't know what tomorrow may hold, but I know who holds tomorrow. And I'm gonna put my faith and my trust in you and everything. And so when I go through these pivotal circumstances, when I go through trials of various kinds, God, help me to, to push forward and lean and learn from you and listen to what you wanna do in my life and the lives of those around me as a result of that. It makes us reconsider who is in control. And finally, it creates this healthy sense of dependence, a healthy sense of dependence upon God. That's what God did to the children of Israel out in the wilderness. He wanted them to wake up every morning and go look for the food that he would put out in front of them. Don't bring anything extra because every day when you wake up, I want you to realize your blessings from the day come from Jesus Christ, from God's provision every single day. And he did that for 40 years. And then they get to the promised land where the land is flowing with milk and honey and they quickly forget where the provision came from. And they start living for themselves. You've got to remember, pivotal circumstances create a healthy sense of dependence. Don't miss the moments God gives you. Somebody is here today and you're here today because God brought you here. He brought you here because you need to step into a personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. You need to realize that you are a sinner and he's a savior. And then you're never gonna get to heaven on your own. I don't care how many times you show up here. I don't care how many times you get put in the water. None of those things matter if you've never put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your savior because you're a sinner. And trust that Jesus died on the cross to pay your sin penalty and that he rose again on the third day to give us victory over this life. If you've never put your faith in him and trusted him as your savior, that's why you're here today, to make that step of faith. And so in just a few moments, as we all stand, there'll be some deacons down front, a couple of us pastors, feel free to come talk to us or meet us back in the VIP room. Don't miss the moments God gives you. Let's all stand together. Father, we are thankful for Paul. I thank you that he did not just move on from a pivotal circumstance in his life and ignore it. But God, you did something in him so that you could do something through him and he's impacted the church for centuries. I don't know what you wanna do in this room this morning, but I pray that your will would be done in every single one of our lives. If there is somebody here today who is trusting in their own goodness to get them to heaven, I pray today that you would convict them of the error of their ways, that they are a sinner in need of a savior, and his name is Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen.